he, he Bruce is, you know, he, he's a he's a rock and roll performer, so he doesn't forget his audience in terms of capturing all of those special yeah. things yeah. that make up the, the live show. So the core yeah. of the river sticks to the river, you know, the East Street Band is a live band, and and, and this is, born in USA is much very much a continuation of it because there's nothing musically radically different on Born in the USA than there is in the river. But the maturity level is there. You know, he couldn't possibly have written My Hometown in 1979 while he was doing The River and much, much less when he was doing Born to Run. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a thing of agreeing or disagreeing with Michael Bell, but I mean, these things are I mean, these are things that are obvious. You know, the guy who wrote Blinded by the Light, you know, uh, writes uh, Valentine's Day or Walk Like a Man within 15, you know, a 15 year period of time or, you know, a little bit less than 15 years. But, you know, it's, and, and that's the thing about Bruce is that he's always uh, he, he's reflected his his, his evolution in, in his music, uh, the mature as, as he matures. So has his music. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is a new friend, a fellow podcaster, a writer, a uh, music critic, and an overall great guy. Mike DeRico is joining me. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to be on the other end of the podcasting thing. Yeah, that's the one hosting. Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself. Well, uh, I don't like to talk about myself, but, you know, I don't want to get too much into real life, but I can give you uh, uh, as far as the things that, let's say, pull me out of real life. And that's things like art and book music. Okay. And and writing books. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I do uh, a lot of uh, freelance writing. Here and there, uh, I host a podcast called Rock Under Fire that recently wrapped up its fifth season. I am uh, currently promoting a new novel called The Locker Notes, which is uh, the follow-up to my Springsteen book that came out last year, actually in 2020. Um, It's funny, now that I I actually realize I'm, I'm I'm plugging a new novel but i should have done your podcast last year when i put out the bruce book you sure should have and so uh, (laughs) we will talk about that what was the book um i I should also i should also note really quick um i i live about 20 25 minutes from bruce okay pretty close in in terms of geography you know and uh it's uh yeah no, the book was called, uh, you know, I, I guess, well, you said you don't like the, the words thing. Again, it's short answers. So I, I tend to ramble. That's okay. That's and wrong I tend with that. to, you know, another thing about if, if I'm hosting, I usually preface every question with, uh, <laughs> but uh, the book is called um, Autumn and Everything After. The, the subtitle is uh, The Murder of John Lennon, 
the evolution of Bruce Springsteen and the birth of the Reagan era. Oh, and that's a mouthful. Yeah, you know, it it, uh, it, it follows uh, three very influential figures through the last months of 1980. So what I did was I in pretty much wrote three books, but they're they're simultaneous stories that all take place in a very bracketed period period of time, you know, with the the election of Ronald Reagan as the backdrop. Um, it's an event that I guess triggers an awakening into a um, seemingly apolitical Springsteen. And uh, mm-hmm. my argument is that these are the most crucial months of Bruce Springsteen's career because uh, these are events that literally direct and um, inform his writing pretty much for the next 40 years, um, give or take an album or two. So is Mike, is this a novel or is it? No, this nope. is, uh, it's, uh, no, it's, it's very, very heavily researched. Okay. And, um, a lot of interviews uh, conducted over three, three years. Um, it, again, I'm talking about three major influential figures who have had books written about each of them ad nauseum. So uh, I had to make right. sure that I told told their stories in a way. I mean, nobody was writing this book on Lennon yeah. and nobody was writing this book on Springsteen. And certainly nobody was writing this book on, on Reagan. Um, but, you know, when... With that backdrop, Lennon is murdered just a few weeks into a major comeback. Lennon has double fantasy out. He's 40 years old. He's trying to balance and reconcile adulthood with his radical past. Whereas Springsteen is 31. He has the river out. It's, you know, it becomes a commercial success that uh, up to that point that he always wanted. You know, it elevates him from that of a, of a cult figure to a worldwide star. Um, while, you know, some might argue that that, you know, Born in the USA was the album that did that. But we're, you know, I, I, I tend to see Born in, USA, Born in the USA as more of like the exclamation point on that huh. success. You know, you, I mean, you can't go through the Born in the USA period without going through the river period first. You know, and by the river period, I, I don't just mean the river tour. You know, the, the, yeah. I, the, you know, yeah. the river period begins with no news. Again, you know, at those concerts uh, at the Garden in 79, you know, Springsteen walks on stage, a cult figure, and he walks off the stage, the biggest rock star in the world. You know, and, you know, no nukes was his coronation, you know, and, and this was pretty much already established by the time that the river tour begins. Um, and, you know, so what I'm, you know, what I'm offering is, the first and possibly only publication that completely examines the river period from top to bottom. If you think about it, at least not to my knowledge, it's not a period that's really widely covered in detail, you know, especially the things that happened on that tour. And there are a lot of things that happened on that tour that changed Bruce so profoundly that, it, you know, it, again, it directed and informed the way he wrote the rest of his career. You know, Mike, what, the romantics of a lot of Springsteen fans, especially, you know, long-term fans is that darkness tour, that, that whole, you know, that was, you know, there are many people that would argue that's the epic. That's, that's the, that is the greatest it's ever been, you know, that, that during those time periods and, you know, as someone who didn't see Bruce live till 2002, 
um, <clears throat> you know, I, I have my own vision of, and, and I think it's, it's selling his artistic vision short by saying that someone peaked as a live act in like 78, 79. I think he, much like Picasso went through periods or other things, it's different periods. He has different careers. And I, I don't, I get, that's, it's fun for fans to sit there at bars and argue what was the greatest error. But the reality is this is a long journey of his and each of them are unique and special in their own way. So I definitely am going to pick up the book because I do think that, that the river was a big turning point. It was the first album I remember buying of Bruce's. And when I first knew who he was because of hungry heart and a friend of my wife's was going to school on the East coast. And she came back and she started talking about, there's this guy named Bruce Springsteen that we're all crazy about. So not really a question, but you know, just kind of, I love the premise of your book and you would not have drawn a line between Ronald Reagan, John Lennon and Lennon's death and Springsteen. But once you kind of sketch it out, I could see kind of the outlines of that story. Well, again, yeah, there, there are ways, you know, a lot of people asked, well, what, what could these three, you know, again, very three influential figures. Yeah. Um, have in common uh, well, a, a lot. Uh, but I make those connections at the end. But I mean, it, you know, uh, one publisher didn't want any part of it because, it, you know, he didn't think I was making enough of a, of a connection. I said, well, these three guys were not sitting in a bar having a beer together. You right. Know, uh, Lennon, had, Lennon met Reagan one time. They, had really, they were both on total opposite ends of the, of the political, cultural divide, you know. Yeah. And they were, and where Springsteen, uh, again, uh, he was this up and coming young rock star where Lennon was this aging rock star, again, trying to just balance his past and, you know, reconcile it with him making adult music, you know, the stuff, the kind of stuff that Bruce would later do on Tunnel of Love. And, um, you know, it, it's. Uh... Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Like you said, there there are a lot of people that tend to romanticize the darkness era. And he goes through any great artist that has the longevity will go through periods of, you know, a, a few albums of this, a few albums of that. Certainly Dylan, we Dylan comes to mind. Elvis Costello comes to mind. Neil Young, um, David Bowie, Prince. I mean, they all comprise periods like Pablo Picasso. I'm a big fan of his uh, blue period. I like all of the stuff he did before cubism <laughs> you know and uh but anyway um you know it's uh I, i'm not I, i'm not so much arguing that um it was his most significant period or it was his peak um what i'm saying is that the events that happened during those months uh change his writing style kind of it's kind of his if you will his political awake, awakening because he really wanted nothing to do with politics yeah, uh, you know, he didn't utter a political word. His music's always been political uh, in terms of the content. You know, you don't necessarily have to endorse a politician to, to, to see the political implications in Nebraska or Darkness on the Edge of Town or the Promised Land, you know, anything like that. But that said, I do need to give a, a friendly warning to anybody that's interested in the book because the book has rubbed a few people the wrong way. And this is the most I'll get into politics because the book deals heavily with politics. Um, the book does examine in full detail the manner in which both John Lennon and Bruce Springsteen have been historically vilified by the conservative right wing of American politics. Um, there are obvious differences. You know, Springsteen never had an FBI file taken out on him, yeah. like, you know, like John Lennon did. Um, but John Lennon never had Fox News villainizing him every time he opened his mouth, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, when it comes to musicians that people despise for speaking their mind, Bruce in the last few decades has been public enemy number one to, to, to the right media, which is also ironic because such a significant part of Bruce's audience is conservative. And, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't, oh, you know, go figure. Yeah, and that's I, a very important thing. You know, Bruce has always acknowledged that there are reasons, you know, that, I mean, obviously, he's obviously understood the reasons people are go one way versus the other in terms of their politics. And he's always honored. 
that. You know, he's never spoken out and said, you know, well, the audience is going to vote person or, or that person. And a lot of uh, people tend to think he is doing that, you know? So yeah, because, yeah. you know, Mike, um, as we're recording this, um, we're, you know, about the middle of April. Um, and I always always have a backlog of episodes so this will probably come out end of may first of june and they're gonna go what what were you talking about but um they just had a host on fox news or one of the fox programs you know call him a commie uh and even though she said i like his music but just you know he's a commie with his politics and um it is i think it's interesting and one of my favorite lines, and I wish I remembered who said it, but last year, um, two years ago, when he did the Super Bowl commercial, you know, someone said um, the reaction to his commercial about the middle tells you how far away we are from the middle because he got as just as much criticism from the far right as he did from the far left you know, just both just really, really given a hard time uh, for a message that, you know, I'm sure he thought in his mind was just, hey, can we find a way to get along? And, and it's interesting. Um, it, you wonder, you know, there's a lot of different things that connect us and make us what we are. Um and so I, I'm I'm excited about the book because I, I I can imagine, you know, piecing these together. How do you become this type of songwriter? I know when I read Michael Pell's book, you know, his argument was that after John Landau started taking over Bruce's career, his writing changed, and. Uh, and I certainly am not going to argue with that or, you know, if whether that's true or not, that's up to the audience to determine. But I do think it's an interesting point to say, you know, if you think of forget Nebraska for a minute, but you just do, you know, the river and born in the USA and tunnel of love, three very commercial, um, you know, albums. And in a lot of ways you could make his three most commercial albums. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, he, he, Bruce is, you know, he, he's a, he's a rock and roll performer, so he doesn't forget his audience in terms of capturing all of those special yeah. things yeah. that make up the, the live show. So the core yeah. of the river sticks to the river, you know, the East street band is a live band and, and, and this is born in USA is much, very much can, continuation of it because there's nothing musically radically different on born in the usa than there is in the river but the maturity level is there you know he couldn't possibly have written my hometown in 1979 while he was doing the river and much much less when he was doing born to run uh but yeah i i, I would agree i mean i mean i don't know if it's necessarily a thing of agreeing or disagreeing with michael Pell, but i mean these things are i mean these are things that are obvious you know, the guy who wrote Blinded by the Light, you know, uh, writes uh, Valentine's Day or Walk Like a Man within 15, you know, a 15 year period of time or, you know, a little bit less than 15 years. But, you know, it's, and, and that's the thing about Bruce is that he's always uh, he, he's reflected his his, his evolution in, in his music. 
the mature as as he matured, so has his music. Uh, he wasn't writing a lot of love songs in the seventies. You know, he dabbled with it a little bit on the river. You know, things like uh, you know, as far as like relationship songs and and things that happen in Stolen Car and Fade Away and The Price You Pay and uh, things like and drive you know drive all night to a certain extent. Um, and then he really just plunged into it on Tunnel of Love. His writing has always changed. Um, going back from the, I, I, I guess if you go back to the, the free form uh, stream of conscious poetry that kind of, uh, you know, showed the, the, the Bob Dylan and Allen Ginsberg influence on, you know, and it's all over greetings from Asbury Park. You know, and then just going into that, and I know you asked the question. Uh, maybe we'll address it a little bit later about Mary, about the two the two kids in Thunder Road, and and uh, that whole theme of escape when you're in your late teens and your early twenties, uh, and then it all comes crashing down on darkness. Life, life hits you upside the head, you know, and you realize, well, maybe we're not gonna get out while we're young. You know, uh, and that's, I think, uh, to a large extent, that's what the Dark and Sunday Edge of Town album deals with. Whereas the river really tries to reconcile it and say, okay, well, you know, it doesn't have to be all dark. It, you know, life has paradoxes, as Bruce was saying in 1980, you know, and maybe the light and the dark can coexist together. And hence the double album that the river was. Uh, I'm so glad he made he made that album because had that had that 79 you know that aborted 79 ties at bind record come out uh I don't know if I don't know if the story would be the same today you know and Mike the the thought when he did the the river tour right where they re they reissued the box set they did the ties the bind album you know he you know he toured playing the river in its entirety um and you wonder you know he talked about that that he thought that if he could write about these adult themes maybe he could get them so uh i i do think that was an important part of his journey and um i was asked by a couple of people you know one of the things that was unusual about that tour when it was the first leg is, you know, he did the river in its entirety. And, and one of the things is, you know, the beauty of a Bruce show is the spontaneity that often he will change the set list depending on the tour. And, um, you know, I enjoyed revisiting that. I ended up going to four shows um, and especially songs for me you know, Independence Day became a different song to me seeing this 60-year-old man singing that a song he wrote when he was a son talking about his father. And now then in a lot of ways, he's singing from the father's perspective, talking about, you know, his sons. Um, so I, I like the idea that he kind of embraced these themes and, and adult themes in the river and then continued. Yeah, that's where I, the one you're, you're talking, obviously you're talking about 2016. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to see the full river in the, the by the time I saw a show on that tour, he was already opening. He was opening with New York City Serenade. Okay. Was, I mean, those, those four hour marathons that yes. he ended up doing it at the end. Yeah. Um, 
I I didn't the one actually I did see him do the river once, but it mm-hmm. was it was at the end of uh 2009 tour. Right when they when uh, you thought he would never do this again, right? Like he had even made a joke about yeah. that. Yeah, he I, said Clarence was still alive, you know, right. and he exactly. it was and he had done uh there was this the, just the very tail end where it was you had this feeling of anything goes. Yeah. And every and it's been like that every time. Every every tour since the reunion has had this feeling of well, this could be it. You know, it's just yeah. like some yeah. guy said uh, when he was doing his book signings for the you know t- twenty seventeen said yeah. well, it means yeah. more every year. And um, but yeah, it, it's uh, th- these things are cyclical. You know, it's kind of yeah. like you know your experience of in, of Independence Day in twenty sixteen. Uh, yeah. is much like that cyclical trip of uh i mentioned my hometown in, in the cyclical nature of my hometown where he's remembering sitting on his father's lap and now he, at the end last night me and kid me and kate we laid in bed talking about getting out you know packing our bags maybe heading south you know he's got i'm 35 we got a kid of our own now you know yeah. and now this the, you know the process is just now it's now it's now it's in his hands you know yeah, I really and, do. Uh, um, I I want to get I'm going to get back to some of the questions I normally ask, but I am curious. Sure. Why did you go from a nonfiction book about music, you know, this this trilogy of two musicians and a politician? What then led you to wanting to do a fiction book, The Locker Notes? What, why well, lo- did you decide to do that? The Locker Notes was actually written first. Okay. The Locker Notes, All right. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, the Locker Notes uh, was written many years ago. And uh, w- I mean, we are living in the golden age of independent publishing right now. So I figured by the time the, I was done writing uh, Autumn or the Brutes book or Lennon Reagan book, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of each, you know. Uh, I said, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to put the locker notes out. So I spent the year going through it. As soon as I was done, as soon as I turned in the Brutes book, I just spent the next, I guess, 10 months um, just going through the locker notes and, ma- and tweaking it here and there. And um, I just just to get it out of the way, just to have it lying around, because I, I am working on another major project that's very much in the same formula as um you know autumn and everything after which you know i won't be ready until 2024 but i needed to get the locker notes it was like an exorcism you know i had needed to get it out of my system i needed to be done with it i needed to just have it out in the world rather than sitting on it for another decade you know so that's pretty that's pretty much that's interesting what's your what's your elevator i don't like fiction i can't do fiction i hate character development what's your elevator pitch for the novel my elevator pitch for the novel it's well i mean if you love the seven you grew up in the 70s i was born in 1970s that that's that's fine i'll date myself uh i'll be 52 in a few weeks but uh you know if you grew up in the 70s it's it's kind of like a, a time capsule it's all of the absurdities of childhood suburbia and how how you kind of viewed the world, how you viewed adults, the behavior of adults, uh, 
pop culture, how you saw music, how you saw the TV news, how you saw world events through this, the eyes of a, of, a, of a very small child. Um, if I had to describe it, um, it's kind of like if you take um, uh, the Wonder Years and you put it in a blender with a Christmas story um, and you'll get the locker notes. It's totally, All right. uh, it's, a, it's, it's a children's story for adults. It's by no means for children. But it is a children's story for adults. It's told in the in the adult voice of the kid, you know, very much like the Wonder Years and Christmas Story. Uh, there's a whole lot of rock and roll music in it. It's uh, it's uh, it would make it. I would say it would be a very very good soundtrack to it if it were made into a film. And it would make a great it would make a great one season fourteen episode series. And that's, that's all I'll say about the locker rooms. It's all right. That people. sounds great. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, as we get to the end, I will give you opportunity to tell us where we can get all your fine work. Sure. But um, as I, I usually say, I always like to start at the beginning, but since we're already 40 minutes into the podcast, I guess, uh, but I do like to go to the origin stories. Talk about Mike. Where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were a kid? Well, I'll, uh, I'm, I'm in Central Jersey. I've been in Central Jersey my whole life in the suburbs, very much like uh, what, what we read in the locker notes. Uh, it's loosely based on that. Uh, the, my first music, I mean, I've been, I, I've, since I was a baby, since I was in diapers, I've been all about music. Music has been the, the central center, you know, the, the core of my life since I was a baby. Uh, my, my mother was raised on oh, the, the vocal group. So I grew up with the vocal groups, you know, all of that stuff, the, the Ducree, all, you know, uh, all, that, all that good stuff that you would hear on CBS, which was the oldest station in the Tri-State area. And uh, my dad was all about Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. And uh, so I grew up with a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff from the 50s and 60s always playing in my house. Uh, and then I, you know, discovered at the age of five. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, but it made me want to pick up the guitar and be a rock star again at the age of five. And uh, it, it, I, I was I very quickly discovered a lot of the the this the. the or I guess the second generation of rock and roll, like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and those bands. Uh, I, I I listened to it all. I mean, scratch the surface. I, I went through the whole thing. I mean, I, all through the 80s, I, w I went through a, a metal phase in the 80s, uh, after which I went back to the 60s and went through the whole counterculture era bands, the Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead and Jimi Hendrix and the Doors, Bob Dylan, uh, the whole thing. Now, now I listen to a lot of jazz. I, I go even further back now. You know, I go back to the roots and you know rock and roll, and I'll listen to anything now. You know, anything really. Well, not anything. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> yes, I understand. Um, can you remember when you first discovered Bruce, and if you can? articulate why his music spoke to you bruce bruce was always there he was always in my house he was always being played in my house i guess at the time 
uh, it was Born to Run. And then my dad got the Darkness album when it was new. This is 1978. I'm eight years old. I'm listening to Kiss. But Darkness was always on. So it was always something I heard. I liked it. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. In fact, when I hear Badlands today, although I know every word inside out, and backwards and forwards, I still hear it the way I heard it as an eight-year-old, where I couldn't form any word he was saying. It's funny. Um, and then uh, I remember, you know, the Detroit medley, devil, the devil medley uh, being played on the local station WPLJ when No Nukes came out. And I used to see the No Nukes bumper stickers everywhere. I remember my neighbor had the No Nukes bumper sticker and uh, Springsteen was suddenly huge. And uh, this new album, The River, was coming out. And uh, announced it, I guess, over the summer. I remember the school year started and I just placed The River as a uh, the beginning of the school year, you know, I just associated with that fifth grade year. I mentioned that in the, intro, in the intro of my book, but I really, really got it around the Born in the USA tour. Like it was, it was my first one. And uh, I mean, it's where I really, really started, um, you know, with as far as his lyrics and what his lyrics meant to me and uh, writing college papers about him years later, you know. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, he's been there my whole life, you know, at least as long as I can remember. Yeah, that I, I get that. I understand totally. Um, we, you mentioned, you know, going to the 2016 tour late in the day, you know, late yeah. and that thing. Um, I always like to preface this, Mike, with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of what kind of fan you are. Um, there are people who have never seen Bruce perform live that are diehard fans. There are people that have seen him hundreds of times. That all depends on your age, your economic, where yeah. you live. Um, do you count how many times you've seen him? And if I so, lost count. Okay. I, I, st I, I stopped counting around the devil's and dust period. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, I, I'm going to say... Over 50, okay. less than 100, I'm, I'm maybe 60, okay. maybe 70. It's it's something that I I was actually thinking about this the other day. And yeah. uh, I said, you know, I haven't counted in a long time, man. But uh, I'm going to say somewhere between 50 and 70, maybe. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. Um, are there tours or shows that stand out to you? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, the first one, August 20th, 1984, okay. uh, you know, Steven had left the band, uh, Nils was in, was the new guitarist at the time. Uh, he is, he was wrapping up 10 nights at the Meadowlands. Uh, Steven came out, they did drift away. Uh, they did two hearts with that. That was, you know, that's always special. Uh, a lot of, a lot of things, after, believe it or not, a lot of things after the reunion tour, like when he pulled out the second to last night of the 15 night stand, you know, he pulled out um, New York City Serenade for the first time in like 25 years. Um, the beginning of the Rising tour, 
where he pulled out Jackson Cage for the first time in like 20, something like 20 yeah. years or something like that. Um, you notice a lot of these things have to do with the river with me, you know, but it's, it's, yeah. um, and, and just probably the loudest I've ever screamed at a concert, uh, possibly the best moment uh, at the Spectrum in 20, in 2009, when he, uh, it was the, I think it was the, I'm pretty sure it was the last night of the Spectrum. Uh, he opened with Price You Pay. Okay. You know, it's, it's, I don't know if set lusting has to do with those songs that we're chasing. Uh, yes. I wanted to ask you about the premise of your, the title of your podcast, because uh, it's one of those things where you're chasing songs for so many years. And there's, you know, the Boots is not like the dead where he plays yeah. seasonal. So to have, to finally get to see price, price you pay live and you didn't think you were ever going to see it again. And then he announces very quickly that he's going to be doing the river like three weeks later in its yeah. entirety. Um, so yeah, those, 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 those little moments where he pulls out that song that you've been chasing for years. Yeah. In fact, we will get to that because that's one of the questions I ask are, are there songs that when he tours again, you want to hear live um, listeners. If you're tired of hearing the introduction of the Springs of my podcast title, um, skip ahead about five minutes. because <laughs> Mike and I are going to visit for a minute. So um, I had a couple things that happened, Mike. One, uh, this guy had done a podcast set in the 80s, um, 80s reboot overdrive. And um, we had done it. You had to pick your top four albums of the 80s. He had a couple of guests on. And I realized I could have picked all four Bruce Springsteen albums. Right. But I figured that was kind of cheating. So I picked a John Hyatt album. I picked the Brian Wilson's first solo album. I picked, you know, Tunnel of Love. And I can't remember the fourth one. Um, I think Ron Stats, um, How Like the Wind. Um, and um, so, and then I, I started realizing this. I, I did have some people and we discussed all four albums and um, Springsteen and I came out, you know, that film film, that fan kind of film where the people talked about what Bruce meant to them. And so I went to uh, the guy who ran our podcast network and I asked Rob, I said, I want to do a Springsteen podcast. There's not a Springsteen podcast. This was back in 2015, 2016. And he says, okay, what's a Springsteen podcast? I said, I'm going to talk to Springsteen fans um, about their fandom. He said, okay, where are you going to get them? I said, I'm going to get them from social media. He says, okay, great. Go for it. If you're passionate about it, go for it. And um, he loves telling the story, hang up his phone. And he looked at his wife and he said, Jesse's going to do a Springsteen podcast. I think we'll get a season out of it, which to him is 12 episodes, right? Tomorrow, as we're recording this, my 850th episode has wow. will be released. Let me, let me just cut in really quick and just give yeah. you an, uh, how an idea of what I'm talking about, how much I can't do my podcast anymore. In five seasons, five years, we did 76 episodes. Yeah. Man, I applaud you. That you you are, you know, more power to you, man. So now <laughs> that's amazing. That's now, amazing. A, a little bit of that is cheating because like I 
I went through, I did 40 days. Uh, I, I did for a while there, I was going through Springsteen thoughts of the day. So I would pick a lyric and I would do like a five, 10 minute episode of just that lyric. Right. So that I counted that as an episode because, you know, it doesn't matter. So, you know, not all 850 are a true hour conversation, but um, it, you know, it, that's a lot of, there's a still lot of me talking. Time in. It's right. still yes. you. You're still, it's still right. coming out of your heart and soul. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's, so I anyway. certainly include them as episodes. Yeah. Your episodes could be 10 minutes or they could be 10 hours. You yeah. Know? It's, it's all. Yeah. So when we were talking about, you know, um, naming it and you mentioned Jackson Cage and after the fact, someone said, God, you should have named it Jackson Cage. And I said, you, I sure should have. Where were you when I was coming up with this? That would have been perfect, right? Yep. Um, so, um, and it's exactly what you said. Um, when, because Bruce changes his set list so often and that people post on social media what he's playing, instead of set listing, you start become set lusting. Like, I can't believe... I'm not at this show and he's doing this song, right? So that's where the term came from. And it's kind of, you know, six years later, it's stuck. So uh, that's, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you named it, you, you nailed it exactly right, Mike. That's I, the purpose of the name. I've been lucky in the sense that, you know, I live in a location where, you know, obviously Bruce is, Bruce lives close by. Yeah. Uh, but his a lot of a lot of those key moments, a lot of those key shows happens here. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't take that light. <laughs> you know, it's like sure. I realized, you know, a lot of these, you know, when he first pulled that, you know, I mean, I, I was, you know, it was in Philly when he pulled out Icy Bay. But, yeah. you know, when he pulled out New York City Serenade and after it took I mean, I didn't see all 15 of those shows. I don't sure. You know, but I saw. I saw six, I thought I saw about six of those shows and that I was there that night. You know, he also opened, he opened with night that show. That was the first time he pulled out night in like, yeah. Oh, 20 years, maybe since like 19, he, he did it last, I think on the, he did it once on the born in the USA tour. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, just a lot of those key moments. I also want to say he did, um, one, he did two benefits at the very end of the 93 tour with that other band. Yeah. When he came back to do the, um, he did a benefit for New Jersey Food Bank or, you know, one of those uh, for New Jersey. And uh, he came out with, at the time, it was maybe three quarters of the East Street Band mm -hmm. who, you know, and, and Max was out. Steve came out. Clarence came out. Uh, Roy was already on stage. He came out with Southside Johnny and the, the, the encore, it, it seems like he played until like a little after one o'clock. Concession stands were closed and a lot of the employees were sitting on the floor all pissed off. You know, they just wanted yeah. the concert to stop. That was a really good night too. Yeah, uh, I, I love that. Um, I think of that guy from that Springsteen and I film with, you know, his wife is the passionate fan and he's just, you know, along for the ride. And, you know, she asked, what would you tell Bruce if you could tell him anything? Make it shorter. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, too funny. Um, so if I asked the number one album, would you say the river? Is that your go-to if you, and, mm. and realize I, I always think it's difficult, you know, cause I, my top three albums change all the time. I love Tunnel of Love. I, Wrecking Ball is a great album for me. The The Rising will always have a special place for me because that was the first show I saw live. Um, yeah. Also, my father died on the anniversary of uh, 9-11. It was the 10-year anniversary and my father passed away. So there is a definite significance to that date for me so i joke i listen to a johnny cash album every 9 11 and i listen to the rising every 9 11 kind of a way to remember both events so but push comes to shove would the river be it for you um i i tend to separate best from favorites Fair uh, enough. I think that's if I have to pick his. I mean, if I have to pick his best album, I, I think it's Darkness. I think yeah. it's. I think it's Darkness. Um, the River is a favorite, but again, like it, it, I, I really dissect the River yeah. song for song, and there there are a lot of you know Bruce has been Bruce has been crucified for the River for years, but before you know for for not not the way he arranged it and, and sequenced it, but for the stuff he left off. You know, and yeah. the years leading up to the box set, the, lead, the years leading up to tracks, even, uh, he was crucified for that. And it was just kind of, um, and I talk about that, but it, I, I mean, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a flawed masterpiece, I think. I think it, it, it encapsulates, it's a culmination of the first 25 years of rock and roll everything that's on it beginning to end, you know, very much like I think the clash is London calling was that type of a record. Uh, it kind of just, it just kind of pulls together the first 25 years of rock and everything that's special about rock and roll is you can hear in the river album. Um, yeah. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't say it's his best album. I, I okay. think it's his most, I think it's his most, uh, it was the, the most crucial period of his career though. You know, it obviously, I, I think for a lot of reasons, again, um, you know, again, the election that kind of changed the, the tone of what his writing would be. He starts excavating the American past by going into American history and he's reading Woody Guthrie's uh, book on Woody Guthrie. And he's getting into all these Dust Bowl, all this Dust Bowl era history. And then he kind of goes back and listens to a lot of the music that came out of that period. And he's reading about American history and, he's, and he takes it to Europe with him. And he's talking about this stuff to, you know, his fans in Stockholm. Yeah. And, and Paris and London. And uh, he's talking about, well, back, back home, this is happening. And back home, this is happening, you know. And then he comes back and he lectures his New Jersey audience mm -hmm. about how well behaved and how respectful the European audiences were. And here you guys are throwing firecrackers at me, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it was a crazy period for him. You know, he the, the Vietnam vets benefit happened yeah. that summer. You know, just so many things that change him. He did not come out of that river tour the same person he was going into it. You yeah, know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's his best album. It's, it is a favorite of mine, though. I mean, my yeah, heart's yeah. with it, you know. <laughs> well, for like, for example, to me, when I saw the Rising Tour, I had only casually listened to the album. And so okay. I've told people that 
in a lot of ways, I'm, I am going to, you know, I, I, I was, I felt like I'd walked into a movie halfway through the, you know, the movie. I, I knew it was a good movie. I just didn't understand everything that was going on. So when Devils of Dust came out, I listened to that CD over and over and over again. And so when he came to Dallas for the Devils of Dust tour, you know, just him, you know, I loved because I, I knew all those songs. I had done my homework when I showed up at the uh, concert. And so I certainly would not argue that Devils and Dust is one of his great albums, but it's an album I have great affection for because of that experience. And I think all of us fans have that emotional attachment to different albums and different songs and different tours because of what's going on in our own lives when it happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I won't get too into detail, but I mean, there are, I mean, working on a dream is not one of his most treasured albums, you know, which is pleasant. Yeah. Uh, but there are things that I'm attached to on that record, you know, that are in as indelible as, you know, as, 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 as indelible as Thunder Road to me, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the same thing with, I mean, there are things about Lucky Town and Human Touch that I love. Yeah. You know, they're not his greatest albums, but I mean, I'll take Soul Driver over a lot of the stuff <laughs> that's come out over yeah. the last 10 years, you know? And, you know, I, I wanted your thoughts on, I, I've talked to a couple of people about this. I had a guest and I love the story so much. And so just I'll tell it and then I'd love to hear your story. Um he was talking about that he had been a fan and the reunion tour happened. You know, we had gone through the dark ages where he'd broken up the band and, you know, and he said he was standing in the pit thinking, wow, this is it. This is the height of my Bruce Springsteen fandom. The band has gotten back together. We have gotten live shows Maybe every few years they'll pull around and they'll do a greatest hits tour, but this is the apex of my Bruce Springsteen fandom. And as he was telling me this, he said, I want to go back to that guy and say, you've not seen nothing yet. You have no you, idea what's coming for the you next have, 20 years. Yeah, you have <laughs> magic. You have rising. You have Broadway. You have an autobiography. You have a album that's being released in the middle of a pandemic letter to you. you dude, you have hit halftime. You have not hit the end of the game. And, and I just love that perspective. Thoughts? I was, yeah. Did it ever, did, it, did you ever imagine in 1999 that the reunion tour would be the halfway point? No. Right? <laughs> you know? No way. I remember going into that tour thinking the same thing, you know, this is, you know, because I, and it's a, one thing I, I don't really, I don't really care to talk about my podcast, but one of the things we always talk about was, you know, that um, rock and roll, you know, was always an experiment. It's, it began as an experiment. It was made by young people for young people and you weren't supposed to get old. And, yeah. uh, you know, Mick Jagger said he didn't want to be singing Satisfaction past the age of, age of 40. You know, and now these guys are in their 70s. And, um, yeah. 
you know, there's no precedence for this. There's no precedence for any of it. You know, maybe the right. Rolling Stones have become the template for what's possible, but there's no temp there's no template for it. And there's no and there's no there's no precedent. So this is all um well, we, it's almost like we're just living it in real time. So by the time that the reunion tour happened, Bruce is in his late forties. We're thinking that's old, man. Yes, he's up there, you know. And it, we had no idea. We had no idea. I don't think anybody did. I don't yeah. think Bruce did. No, no way. I, I agree. Uh, no way. Um. So, are there songs you you said you've been very lucky? Are there songs you're chasing? Are there still, do you have a bingo card of, yeah, I'd love to hear this one live? That's a good question because I've, I mean, out of everything I've ever wanted to see live, uh, I've seen, um, I've seen him do the river in its entirety. I've seen him do wild in its, in, its entirety. Um, I, I mean, at this point, I, I guess, and this sounds funny, but if I went to see him now and he pulled out, I swear to you, if he pulled out like glorious eyes, I would smile. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with, with he did with every wish. If he did some of those songs that were in his later era that we really didn't appreciate then, yeah, you know, uh, I would love for this to, for him to pull out. You know, uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. at a show that I'm at, you know, yeah. um, it, it, just the things that, it, it, you know, again, having seen a lot of these songs already, um, you know, and I'll always say, Hey, you want to do Jackson Cage? Great, great. You know, it lost yeah. in the flood was one of those moments. Um, but again, you know, if he pulled out, you know, it just, I, I smile when he pulls out something from Lucky Town, you know? Yeah. It, it's just like, yeah, man, he's a, they're like old friends too, you know? They're, sure. they're like people, you know? It's like, you know, when he, when he, when he did, when he opened G Stadium with Souls of the Departed. Yeah. That was such a great moment. I was like, yeah, you know, hell yeah. A absolutely. You know, it's like, hey, man, it's like seeing an old friend. It's just like, hey, you know, how you doing? You know, Souls of the Departed. Yeah, man, come on board. There's room for you in this 32 songs. You know? Yeah. Do, um, what were your thoughts about Western Stars and Letter to You? Uh, not a big, I'm, I'm in the minority on this. I'm not a big fan of Letter to You, but okay. I think Western Stars is a masterpiece, man. It was, I don't get into the award shows, but Bruce was snubbed. Man, that was album of the year, 2019, man. Yeah. Western Stars, a beautiful album. Beautiful album. I loved I, it. Yeah, I, I loved them both. And I, I, I understand. I mean, my parents grew I grew up in a country and western household where Glenn Campbell and you know Charlie Pride and Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash and you know Hank Williams were played all the time. So I really appreciated that. I not that anyone cares, but I'm like it there it is a shame that because of today's atmosphere because there was a time that bruce's cover of rhinestone cowboy would have been a hit on country radio right like the country stations would be playing that but it's just not 
the way radio works nowadays. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I love the album. I love the film. I am jealous of everyone in the barn. I, I would love to have been there. Oh, yeah. You know, it is just great. And I hope we get a couple of those songs on when they tour again, that at least a couple from Western stars. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think he's going to do a fair amount of letter to you along with yeah. what, you know, some of the other songs, but yeah, a- absolutely. I like um, that he took, that he took out some of those old, the old, those old chestnuts, like uh, yeah, song for orphans. Yeah. If I were the priest, yeah. it, 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 I mean, Danny needs a shooter, man. That is a devastating version. That is just like, it, it's yeah. like you hear you hear darkness ever brutal. Yes, you absolutely. Um, yeah. What have I, what have I not asked you that I should have, Mike? Uh, I don't know. It's your podcast. <laughs> it's your, well, you know? I and and, a, and to, to you know pull the curtains back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Uh, I, I was interviewing a guy multiple years ago and the interview went fine. We had a good time. Mm-hmm. And then after I hit recording and I shut down everything, we're talking and he says, Oh, next time I'm on, I'll tell you about when I got drunk with the E street band. I'm like, what, how, how mm-hmm. do you not lead with that story? So just in case, Mike, if there is a, you know, brush with fame where you hit up, you talk to some of the E street bands and you got drunk with them. I want to give you a chance to tell that story. <laughs> Um, I've never gotten drunk with anybody in the E Street band. Um, I met Danny. Uh, that's, that's about as far as, um, my, my adventures with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street band go. I've never, can't say I've met okay. Bruce. Haven't. Yeah. Um, you know, the closest, the closest I've been to Bruce in proximity, yeah. uh, was, uh, let me see if I'm. Let me see if I'm missing anything, though. Okay. There, there, there was a night. There was a night when you know. You know what? I can't. I can't say I met Bruce. <laughs> there yeah. was a night when I was in pretty close proximity to him, but I didn't know he was there. But he was yeah. just getting into his truck. It was a night where I was at a place in Asbury Park called the Rockwood. Okay. <laughs> Funny thing is, it was right across the street from the Stone Pony. Okay. I get it. Rock horse, stone. Pony. Sure. Oh yeah. I like it. I love <laughs> it. Southside Johnny was playing there and Bruce, the whole thing was, you know, anytime Southside played the pony, the bigger story was whether or not Bruce was going to show up. Right. Uh, well, he showed up, <laughs> but I, okay. was, I did not get in. But anyway, no, uh, I didn't. I have never met anybody. I've never got drunk with any of the street band. It's an, it must be an interesting story though. For anybody who has yeah um no i don't have any any okay. really good story to tell what about are you, that what are you working on now besides the new not uh, the new book is there anything else you're working on uh creatively uh the new book is taking up most of my creative time okay so I'm, I'm going into i'm going down the rabbit holes this summer with uh interviews okay and uh i can really talk about whatever you know what the content is um so this is early at this point do, no, jinx, jinx myself <laughs> yeah no i understand um are you um 
so um, go ahead and give us the, I know you said you didn't want to talk about your podcast, but just give me a little bit about what's the name of it. And uh, no, well, my, people, yeah, I'll talk about my yeah. podcast. It's just, you know, it's been so long since, you know, we're, we've been, we're between seasons normally, Yeah. but uh, I think, you know, I made the announcement at the end that it may be the end. I, yeah. you know, I think that the podcast has gone as far as it will go. I think if I do, if I put in the time and energy, it's going to be towards something else. But oh, it's called Rock Under Fire. It kind of uh, it, it kind of looks at rock's place in the 21st century, what its role is in the 21st century. It, you know, once upon a time, rock was the it, it was the cultural zeitgeist. It informed. Um, fashion trends it, it kind of reflected the, the you know the world yeah. politics and, and just everything it, it it is no longer the center of the cultural zeitgeist now right. and uh we kind of looked at that we often play devil's advocate in this uh long time thing that says that rock is dead uh you know, though I don't necessarily believe rock is dead, I very often play devil's advocate. And we kind of turned that on its head and kind of took that apart and very often challenged it. And very often we almost proved it, mm -hmm. <laughs> depending on what we were talking about. But, you know, it's uh, we occasionally we had guests. There was really no consistency to the podcast. Each season, again, ran for about... Uh, maybe eight months of the year, maybe six yeah. or maybe six to eight months of the year. We did maybe about a dozen episodes per, per, per season. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of good people on, you know, but, but it was, again, you know, we, you know, we had uh, a friend from the fourth season who since passed away, Joe Long, a great guy. He was a bass player in one of the, uh, the, the 65 to 75 incarnation of the fourth seasons. Um, by the way, I do, a, I'm doing a new group for, uh, I'm doing a Four Seasons podcast. If there are any Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons fans out there, I've been taking part in a four episode so far a podcast of uh, it's called Seasons on Saturday. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, nice. Any any fans that yeah, I just remembered that. Uh, it's not something that I'm in charge of, so it's kind of nice where I just get to log on, just get, and, show and up and talk. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Seasons on Saturday. You can find that. Uh, on YouTube, uh, and it's done with Lee Shapiro, who is the, the keyboard player in Frankie Valley's arranger during the 1970s. Oh, interesting. Um, so we do that with him and the guys who run uh, the Four Seasons fan club in the UK. Oh, very uh, nice. Named Ken Charmer. But uh, yeah, Rock Under Fire, it's still out there. Okay. Uh, you can find it on, uh, you know, it, it was originally on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, but, you know, we're on Stitcher. Uh, um, Spotify or on YouTube mm -hmm. uh, and that's pretty much it you know I don't I doubt we're going to come back with anything this season but you know and we had you know there were there were some good interviews in there we had Nina Blackwood and from MTV and oh, wow. Downey from Judas Priest was on and uh, you know Joey Mullen from Badfinger you know so we had we had some interesting guests you know it's, it's always fun to have somebody that's going to you know put some downloads on my on my uh rss feed yes know. absolutely i i do know that feeling i I've, i do this out of love but it is oh, nice yeah, every yeah, once in a while to like oh good people like this thing that's good 
Um, If someone wants to reach you, uh, what's the best way to do it, Mike? Um, Well, I'm on social media. You know, you find me on Twitter. Okay. You know, Mike, slash, slash, Dorico, D-E-R-R-I-C-O. I Uh, I have a website, Dorico Untitled. Dorico Untitled is one word, dot com. Uh, You know, and... uh, I'm, I'm out there. You know, you put my name in a Google search, you'll find my work will okay. come up. <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, and the books are available um, in yeah, you can local. Find both books. You know, they're, yeah. um, you, you can just Google either the locker notes or autumn and everything after. Mike, um, like, here we go. You, you'll find them on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. It's available through Barnes and Noble online, not in the stores, but online. Okay. And uh, a lot of various different uh, indie sellers online. If you know, for anybody who prefers not to use Amazon, because I know a lot yeah. of people don't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's good. Very nice. Well, um, this has been a joy. I, I have loved visiting with you you are a great guest and i it was fun i hope that uh people who are fans of yours have come over have enjoyed the conversation and i hope they check back some of my earlier episodes but if you are a fan of mike either his books or his podcast or his work with uh local papers um, I end every episode with the Mary question. What the Mary question is, is Jay Armstrong, who is a retired honors English teacher. He has a new book out as well called Bedtime Stories for the Living. Um, he would, when he was teaching, he would take two days out of the curriculum and break apart Thunder Road. They would look at the lyrics. They would talk about the themes. They would talk, compare this to Robert Frost and other American poets. And he would ask his class at the end of the two days, does Mary get in the car? Mike Dorico, does does she get in the car? Mary gets in the car. She gets in the car. You know, Thunder Road pretty much... You know, Thunder Road is everything symbolic about the, the whole mythology of the modern American landscape. But it, it's it's like all of the best elements that are captured in the best rock songs. You know, there's that that struggle for a place to belong, you know, the sense of purpose, you know, but yet they're still young enough to still to still long for that freedom, you know. And that that love and freedom and hope and faith are like key words in Bruce's entire body of work, you know. But it's 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 always a continuous story, you know. And we check back in on that relationship five years later on the river. That's where Mary reappears, you know. And yes, these I little, do. These little intervals of time and space in between, you know. And uh, yeah. Mary's place sums it all up on the on the rising. It's yeah. old friends. It's old friends and everything in between. Well said, my friend. Uh, someone else brought up the fact that on Racing in the Street, you know, she sits on the porch of her daddy's house. He says, that's the same porch that she dances across. And I was like, I'd never connected that and, before. And now she's got the eyes of one who hates for just being born. Yes, exactly. You know, and that's what, you know, and that's what, that's what I said, you know, in terms of darkness, Light yeah. hitting you in the face. Absolutely. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. you, you got to learn to live with what you can't rise above. Well said, my friend. You know? Well said. Mike, this was amazing. Thank you so much for Jesse, your time. It was fun. Thanks Thank for, you uh, for doing this. 
thanks for the opportunity to talk about my work a little bit. And it's always yeah. fun to talk about Bruce. So Sounds yeah. Sounds great. Listeners, you please be safe. Check with your doctors, get vaccinated, get boosted, and let's be kind to each other because that's how we're going to get through this. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. That's a wrap. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.